When Google's DeepMind won against one of the best modern Go champions in the world, Go being the ancient Asian board game, uh, it used multiple artificial intelligence approaches and, and applications in, in uh, its, its individual strategy against its opponent. Uh, and this shed more light on artificial intelligence the same way that uh, Deep Blue beating Gary Kasparov did, uh, but it also shed light on the possibilities of combining different approaches to AI for individual problems. As it turns out, data security is one of those problems where multiple artificial intelligence approaches can and are being leveraged to make information safer. Uh, our guest in the Tech Emergence podcast this week is Dr. Sal Stolfo, uh, who has been a professor of artificial intelligence at Columbia since 1979, and has worked in the domain of machine learning for quite some time, including projects with DARPA and otherwise. He's now the CEO of a company called Allure Security, where he focuses on artificial intelligence applications in the domain of security. Today, we talk about what various types of artificial intelligence and uh, statistical methods are used to detect malicious activity in sort of the data world, uh, as well as where Sal, Sal believes the future of security is taking us. In other words, how is security going to have to adapt as more and more data becomes available and potentially more channels of attack become available to malicious agents. So an interesting episode for those of you with data worth securing, as well as those of you with a general interest in artificial intelligence. So I think you'll enjoy this episode. So Sal, uh, I think the, the recent story of, of sort of DeepMind winning in the game of Go and combining these various AI approaches has, has sort of brought the variety of, of ways of quote unquote doing AI that, that, that do exist out there. Um, and I know that in the security world, there are multiple approaches being leveraged to keep data safe and keep things blocked off, et cetera. Um, being someone who started off in the research space and has probably seen this area develop, what types of or applications of AI are really most prevalent in security today? There are quite a few. The machine learning area is obviously the most uh, prevalent and the most logical uh, and uh, to apply. Uh, yep. The amount of data that one has to deal with in network security, for example, so large, Grand, we need yeah. to have automated systems that will uh, assist in uh, uh, understanding that data and identifying uh, potentially malicious data as well as malicious data. So machine learning, um, it's an area that I started in 1996 with a large uh, contract from DARPA to push, uh, was based upon the concept of taking large amounts of network data, applying data mining and machine learning, and being able to compute uh, both behaviors of systems, which I want to get into, which you'll find fascinating, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, also identifying normal data and differentiating it from abnormal data. Abnormal data is uh, anomaly detection. Uh, that word, unfortunately, is applied by many people and in business in an inappropriate way. But from a technical perspective, uh, malicious content or malicious uh, data, malicious attacks, um, it, it shouldn't be the majority of the data you see. It's a minority. <laughs> Youch, yeah. You, would, yeah. you would hope not. You're probably in a really rough spot if that's the case. That's right. So the, the focus that we took was to model normal data are unharmful, yes, not yes, malicious, yes. and then identify any data that didn't fit that model. By the way, this has existed for many, many years. Uh, when I was a young professor, I consulted for the CTO of Citibank and worked with them on their credit card fraud detection systems, yep, early yep. fraud warning. 
So learning patterns of how you and I transact is the key to understanding what is a potentially fraudulent transaction. So that's an anomaly detection, uh, and, it, and that uses AI machine learning. Um, oddly enough, there's other areas of AI that have direct relevance as well. And it's a very, um, maybe a topic in and of itself, but uh, there's also deceptive or deception security. Deception uh, security, okay, what is this? All right, that's the use of, uh, it's making the uh, enemy and the attacker work a lot harder by presenting with to them uh, bogus materials. And so, as an example, you're going to be filing your taxes, presumably, pretty soon. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I hope so. Yeah, if I stole your laptop or broke into it, there's probably a directory called tax, and there's a subdirectory called 2015, and in there is your 1040. And you probably have 2014 in there and 2013, so forth. Um, and so if I break in, I get your tax document, I get everything I need uh, about your identity. Uh, why do that? So that's, for example, data at rest. And if I have um, your real 1040 in that directory, I would place uh, maybe 99 or 100 other bogus 1040s. You know the real one. The attacker does not know. And so oh. if they break in, they have now 100 documents to figure out what's real and what's not. It's of no value to them. So that's deception. Uh, it's, it's, I, I really have to look at the, um, the citations, but I'm pretty sure that the, either Adam or Eve got the patent on it, but I don't really know. <laughs> so I, are you, you're saying this is an older technology. Is this artificial intelligence what we're talking about? It sounds like if, if we're just duplicating a file, it's not, but it sounds like this is being done by a system. That's right. It's not duplicating a file. You have to create bogus but believable that passes the Turing test documents, right? Yeah. So if I look at the documents, I have to decide which of Dan's document that I'm looking at is the real one. And so I have to compose and construct these bogus decoys uh, using a fair amount of intelligence so that you will trick and, and, and uh, confound the attacker. So that's another area. And so that calls upon natural language processing, some semantic analysis and so forth. Uh, that uh, automatically creates these uh, bogus materials. But the other area that I find the most fascinating is uh, behavior-based security. Mm -hmm. um, the credit card case is an example of behaviors. Uh, the way you use your computer, your own individual way of using your computer, um, you have a profile or a behavior that can be automatically learned using machine learning techniques. I do not mean biometrics, like the rate at which you type or the movement of your mouse and so forth. Those yeah. biometrics have been studied for years. I'm talking about when you actually use the computer for work, you will touch files, you run applications, you may delete stuff, you may open windows, you may have a messy desktop. All the various things that you do can be modeled uh, using machine learning. Um, and then once you build that model, the whole intent now is to make the machine a truly personal computer. Uh, it should respond only to you. Um, and that we call active authentication or continuous authentication. Um, as it now stands, when you log into your machine, um, you give a password. Yep. Um, the session starts, and that's it. Now the machine does whatever you tell it to do. Uh, active authentication is you have to essentially use your machine, but you have to prove you are who you are. Um, and if the machine thinks that uh, your credential was stolen and the user is not behaving the way it expects its owner to behave, or it changed the behavior because the user accidentally clicked on a link, malcode was injected, and malcode starts running a process that's different than what you would run, yeah. um, you then challenge the user. Um, are you you? 
Um, that's what we call his technology. Yeah, okay, interesting. So you you'd mentioned a few different points. So, so biometric, and what I thought you were going to go into there was you know scanning eyeballs and fingerprints and uh, you know. Um, no, you uh, cut cut your finger, or you get a, yeah. a spy in your eye, or a cold, and your voice changes. So uh, there's, there's lots of problems with biometrics. Interesting. What's different with uh, the work that we do and what we've measured for hundreds of users uh, is we really use our machines quite differently. It's very interesting. Wow. Uh, but wow. that is, that is uh, yeah, it's a very distinct profile uh, that you can compute. And it takes huh. about two, two weeks of data from watching the user. Okay, got it. So you got to train it for a little while. And this is, you know, how, how often, so when you have Chrome open, what are you doing on it? And then what do you save Firefox for? And generally, how many tabs do you have open? And when it is you, what programs are generally running? And what do you do with your mouse when something's loading? And is, is it all of these various and sundry sort of micro activities about how one generally works? Excellent. I'm, I'm, I'm hoping to hire some people. So if you're bored with this line of work, yeah, come, come and work for me. <laughs> oh, good to know. Good to know. <laughs> yeah, we're at, we're at the operating system level. So we see all the actions that the user creates. Ah, okay. So it doesn't matter what the higher level user land applications are. We're still seeing the the uh, the core operators. Wow. So so you can you can tell um, you know you know with with ninety eight point whatever certainty th this is this is uh, you know this is Dan doing his normal thing. Take a look at this. You know these these patterns are identical to such and such, and you're essentially uh, modeling what those are. Now I imagine that determining. Uh, sort of the wheat from the chaff on that um, is, is an interesting process. You know, which which particular facets of program use and of uh, mouse gestures and of um, activities running simultaneously are really indicative of an individual, which have too much overlap, which are too arbitrary. This was probably a pretty big sift for you folks. So that's part of the AI application of uh, machine learning. So the basic, uh, uh, think of it this way, you do have many different possible audit sources, things that you can measure. Measure uh, as many as you, you want. Uh, you now have a large amount of data of this user or set of users uh, from all of these data sources. Then you apply various machine learning techniques and statistical techniques uh, to score those features that are the most discriminative, those features that do the best in separating uh, yeah. individuals from each other. That now hones down from the experiment that we did um, with hundreds of users. We, we had, uh, you know, on the order of 100 different kinds of features, uh, we honed it down to 10. And those 10 features are sufficient to separate those individuals. The four... And the formal test that we did was uh, we had 45 or so uh, masqueraders. Um, these are individuals who we gave a task to, a scenario. Here is a computer. Your task is to steal this information or do this particular task. Uh, we didn't tell them how to do it. We just told them what we wanted them to accomplish. Um, and then they did their actions, and we took their uh, behavior data using the same set of features. Um, and we had 95% accuracy in detecting these masqueraders uh, with no more than one false positive a week. Um, oh. And so th this was part of a, a program funded by DARPA called uh, Active Authentication. Uh, and they required a few performers in, the pro in, the, uh, in that program, uh, in that research program. Um, and we were the best performer when it came to uh, accuracy of detecting masqueraders. 
by the way, this is a fundamental issue in security, which is you present credentials to uh, a user who then gets access. Um, this is using their behavior to augment those credentials. And yeah. what's, be what's beautiful about it is uh, I could use the old-fashioned way and, you know, and, and cajole you or threaten you and get you to, uh, by social engineering, give up your credentials, and then I'm you. Yeah. Um, uh, but I can't ask you for your behavior. Too, so, it's far too difficult. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Right. Interesting. So, so uh, if, if I'm not, uh, if, I, if I'm hearing you correctly, the way that these factors were parsed out from these hundreds of initial users that you'd had in this experiment was not you saying, hey, you know, let's try to track this uh, and, and let's, let's, let's track this about the mouse. And under these circumstances, I really want to pay attention to this. It was just allowing the machine uh, to, to pick up on what are really the most indicative um, sort of uh, genuinely differentiating factors from person to person and, and, and allowing it to sort of snip out uh, those really meaningful patterns that, that seem to be tracers uh, for, for a person. Kind of like, you know, would I, would I be correct in saying this is sort of, um, you know, unsupervised kind of activity in some regard? Uh, yeah, it's it's unsupervised learning, but it's using you know standard statistical methods, uh, and what it is is finding the most discriminative features. So you hit the nail on the head, and you said it the right way. Okay, got um, it. But once you have that, now you learn the individual's behavior using those features, uh, and they essentially train the profile to be their own. That's very much how the banks train your profile on your transactions. Yeah, yeah. And so what? And it's also incremental. So as uh, your applications change, uh, it doesn't matter whether you have a cold or not. It doesn't matter if you cut your finger or not. Uh, you're still still using your machine. Um, but as you use the machine more, it simply gets more evidence or more data about your behavior and just in incrementally updates the model. Yes, yes, uh, yes. So it's continuously learning you. Yep. Uh, and a masquerader is uh, pretty uh, uh, pretty easy uh, to identify. Um, one one thing that's uh, happening, which I, I should mention because it's an interesting topic, and um, um, there's a whole field in uh, the uh, cybersecurity marketplace called UBA, User Behavior Analytics. Hmm. Um, and uh, this is the topic uh, of my research starting back in 1996. Uh, and that's what I sold to DARPA was behavior-based security, um, and we have now a you know commercial product that does this. Um, but the UBA marketplace folks who have uh, learned and understood the value of using user behavior, they look at it from the perspective of identifying anomalous users with respect to some baseline uh, set of users. So, for example. Uh, in one office, you may have 10 people or 20 people with a particular role or job function. Uh, they try to compute using just network views of the behavior uh, of the user, what uh, traffic they produce, how many bytes uh, go back and forth, what IP addresses they touch, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and they try to find what the average user looks like and then identify uh, the outliers, the anomalies. Uh, and presumably those are going to be bad people or, or, or something along those lines. That's the theory. And, and it doesn't work very well at all. Um, okay. So, huh, so that, that traditional approach has not panned out well in security. No. The problem is from all the studies that we did, first of all, these approaches that are using just a network view ha, ha, do not have high enough resolution 
because you can be bad and still uh, perform your job function. And you're not going to see that using network data. But you can see that on the host. <laughs> so if you're encrypting data on the host, for example, and then later emailing it out, uh, you'll see email traffic that doesn't look abnormal. Uh, but on the host, it's very abnormal to take a bulk of uh, files, encrypt it, and then email them out as an attachment. We see that. So identifying abnormal behaviors um, is very hard if you have just a network view. Yeah. And if you're doing it only with respect to some norm of some larger population. Yeah, like, oh. like, like everybody, uh, just to clarify for the audience, so, uh, Arcel, uh, the, the, uh, we're talking about like everybody who is in this position. So everybody who's a uh, marketing associate in this building, you know, we got 200 of them. These folks, you know, let's look at the behavior of the average marketing associate. They're usually using, you know, Adobe. They're usually using this. You're saying that that view doesn't provide the resolution. Even if we're picking on a specific audience, um, you don't seem to have very much belief in that or believe that it's dialed in well enough. That's right. So on the network, you, you can't see that the person is using Adobe. <laughs> so, oh, you can't? Okay. Right. On the network side, you just see their port traffic or you'll see yeah, what IPs yeah, they yeah. touch and blah, yeah. blah, blah. You don't really see what they're doing in the host. So those Indeed. approaches, uh, although there's quite a few uh, technologies and companies out there, uh, they're just not going to do well. They're not going to solve the problem. The problem that I see is uh, credential theft is a huge issue. We oh, all yeah. suffer with that. Big time, man. Right. And uh, the banks essentially solved uh, you know, bank account theft and credit card theft uh, using behavior. And my thesis is the same will be uh, true of our, of our uh, security uh, architectures and security systems available in all of our machines. It's a no-brainer. It's just a matter of time before people are comfortable with the idea. It seems plausible. And I mean, the, the folks with the biggest pockets and the most on the line are the ones that have already kind of told the line here, right? I mean, you were mentioning the credit card companies, um, you know, the, this sort of constantly updated norm per person uh, dialed in, you know, I, I can't imagine how much money they would lose and how much time they'd have to spend in customer service if, if, uh, if they were doing it by, you know, women under 30 in Minnesota, you know, if they, they're doing norms on that level, um, they'd have a lot of false positives and they'd probably be missing a bunch, but that dialed in individual approach seems to have some logic behind it. Um, yeah. Let me ask you this, Al, uh, you know, we're talking about artificial intelligence approaches leveraged successfully or unsuccessfully for the purposes of security. Obviously your company, Allure, um, you folks are putting together, uh, you know, your research with modern machine learning approaches and aiming to solve this problem. What sorts of malicious artificial intelligence exist out there in the world? What kind of approaches are becoming more popular for what we mo might call, quote unquote, the bad guys? Um, you know, what, what sorts of AI or, are being used maliciously today? So the spam, uh, um, uh, oh, I'm sorry, I just lo lost the word, but these, these uh, you know, floods of spamming emails yes. are, it's all automated. Uh, and the spam filters, you know, after a while learn and then start filtering. So you, it's, a, it's actually game theory that's going on here, uh, which is part of AI. Uh, but they have to essentially architect another new uh, spam campaign, that's the word, um, and automate the process as much as possible uh, so they could, uh, you know, blast out the spam and capture as many sheep as they can. So there's a fair amount of artificial intelligence from the perspective of, again, generating content 
uh, and uh, doing it in an automated fashion and scale. Um, so that's clearly one, one area. Um, the, as I said, game theory is fundamental as the, one of the theories behind the artificial intelligence. Uh, and this entire area of security is a game, uh, unfortunately, uh, yeah. one that, that the defender does not do well in because uh, it's asymmetric and the attackers have the advantage until, you know, uh, it's getting harder for them. There's different ways of thinking about security. Uh, where you want to raise the cost to the enemy, and that's why I was talking about deception. Yes, now you, yes, you, raise, yes. you raise the cost, and now it becomes more difficult for them. They'll go elsewhere. Uh, so it raises the bar of protection. Yeah, that, that makes sense. It's sort of like home security. Um, I, I run an e-commerce company that sells in that space, and you know, there, there's no house that is impossible to break into, but there are some where you're just so damn likely to, you know, if you got, you got enough dogs, you got enough floodlights, you live close enough to the police station. Yeah. Um, you know, you, you have an alarm system, um, you know, a, a certain kind of door, a certain kind of window, uh, you know, no shrubs in a certain kind of place where people can hide. It's just, you're just not the house, you know, they're going to find another house. So it there sounds like, it sounds like it's similar with the web, um, where the, the more barriers you can put up sort of the better. I, I'd like to delve Quickly, maybe this will be our last topic, but it, you brought it up, and I thought it was actually quite interesting. You mentioned this security, um, this this security shtick that we're juggling here is a bit of a game, um, and that game theory is a part of artificial intelligence for for both the malicious folks and the people trying to defend what they have. Um, how do you mean that? Where does game theory play into AI, and how do you see the crossover there? Because I think that's a really interesting lens to look through, and would make for a fun uh, article for this interview. Um, explain what you meant there. So um, in, in games, you have two opponents and a number of moves. It's, uh, you know, for each to achieve goals. Um, and there are many different models of games that could be applied to the security space. And I think anybody who's done this, uh, worked in this field uh, seriously, knows exactly what I'm talking about. Um, but uh, it's a cat and mouse game. Uh, the defender puts up a defense. The attacker uh, has to evade that defense finds a way through, the defender sees they get whacked, uh, then they have to put up other defenses and back and forth and back and forth. And yeah. It's like a game going back and forth. Yeah. That has to change. Uh, and the game theoretic approach, um, which is common in economics, for example, has costs associated with it. And that's the kind of thinking now that has to be applied to security architectures. Uh, it has to be much more, the security has to be much more dynamic and it has to be um, uh, costly, uh, you, you have to automatically learn uh, what the kinds of evasions are ongoing just by attempts at evading uh, could be useful to learn from to deploy uh, different kinds of defenses, compose defenses in layers. Right now, the multiple layers of defenses that we do build in large-scale systems, uh, it's essentially linear cost for an attacker to penetrate uh, right through each layer. But now if we can learn how to uh, manipulate our layers in such a way that the cost is multiplicative to the attacker, uh, they're going to go elsewhere. It's going to be much, much more expensive and much more difficult. Um, now, with all that said, um, uh, put aside um, uh, that and think about uh, the principles of like uh, mutually assured destruction, uh, you know, those, <laughs> yes, those, yes. Those, those concepts in warfare. Uh, and from the nuclear age, nation-state is a completely different uh, game. Uh, and there, with a sufficiently well 
uh, resourced attacker and with a, uh, with a, a very juicy target, uh, they will be persistent. And so the cost is, is in some sense irrelevant to them. So that's a different kind of game, a different strategy in how to deal uh, with the nation state. Uh, security problem. It's certainly a different issue with uh, with nukes. Um, different different ball game altogether. Uh, but w with regard to, to artificial intelligence, it sounds like, and we can kind of close on this. You're you're of the belief that um, you know the, the thought of my chess move, your chess move, my chess move, your chess move, um, shouldn't you know shouldn't be sort of an accepted norm, but that we ought uh, find ways to to incur that that prohibitive cost and, and to really be able to squelch. Uh, those ongoing attacks in, in maybe a more effective manner and think through it in, in a different way. That's right. I think of the security of the future is going to be more like shape-shifting, that it will shift and whatever the attacker, uh, you know, probed and learned uh, will uh, soon thereafter no longer be valid. Uh, <laughs> yeah. a, a dynamic uh, system. What, one other thing, too, that I want to tell you that yes. I, I find fascinating and the, the audience, I think, too, um, I was at an invitation-only meeting DARPA had called that brought together computer scientists and security, uh, social scientists, and biologists to kind of cross-pollinate ideas wow. uh, uh, because social organizations secure themselves, biology secures itself, and we're trying to learn how to better com uh, secure computer systems. Um, and what I gleaned from those uh, few days of discussions is really fascinating discussions. Um, the question posed was, what does, what does biological life, the cells in our body, you and I, what does it invest in its total resource to secure itself? That's a huge question. <laughs> um, yeah. because, because security in computer systems is always regarded like security in large enterprises or in social organizations as a cost center. You have to do it. Um, and so you want to minimize costs. And that's the wrong approach. In biology, cells apparently, according to the biologists, expend about 30% of their resource in just securing themselves. So if we took a different mindset about computers and 30% of the resource was expended to security, uh, that's not a bad principle. Uh, and so when somebody says, well, what's the overhead of your security? Oh, it's uh, you know two percent, three percent of the cycle. Oh, well, that's too expensive. You got to push that down. Well, that, that's crazy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it, it might actually be thirty percent if we want to succeed in building um, what uh, would be comfortably called a secure system. I don't know of any today yet, other than those systems that are uh, unplugged from the wall. Yes, yes, yes. Um, otherwise, uh, we're still in pretty bad shape. Huh, interesting. Yes. Well, well let's uh, for for your sake, um, let's let's hope that uh, thirty percent of technology investments are are in the security space, and I'll I'll uh, I'll make sure to join you on your jet at some point. <laughs> well, well, it'll it'll just be filet mignon. But uh, but but either way, you know what, what I guess uh, what's interesting is you know that this cat and mouse game is kind of similar. It feels to me in some ways, you know, the game of SEO. Uh, you know where where folks find themselves in search rankings and. Interestingly enough, with ardent effort, it seems as though Google's sort of gotten the best of kind of the spammy, scammy side of the web. And right. I guess we can hope, and certainly folks like yourself can hope, that um, you know through through real investment and better technology, we might be able to get the best uh, of of the the security domain um, as well. And so I'll certainly have my fingers crossed for you on that. So I, I enjoyed having you on the program. Thank you so much for sharing your insights here on the Tech Emergence Podcast. My pleasure.
And that wraps up this episode on the Tech Emergence Podcast. Thanks for being here. And remember to subscribe on iTunes to stay on top of the latest news breaks, researcher perspectives, and entrepreneur interviews in artificial intelligence, neurotechnology, and more. And we want to hear from you as well. So be sure to leave a review on iTunes, which are always appreciated, or contact us directly at info at techemergence.com. And remember, all of our entrepreneur interviews and interviews with top researchers from around the world, from Stanford to Oxford and beyond, can be found right on our main site at techemergence.com. Remember to sign up for the newsletter while you're there. So with the best of intentions for a brilliant future, this is Dan Figella signing off, and I'll see you next week.